Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. We begin a four-part mini-series discussing those texts that cause more questions than give answers or make us really wonder what it means and why it's in the Bible. This particular sermon, does the Bible suggest that zombies are real or is there something more to this particular text in Matthew? You're listening to Perplexing Texts, Dead People Walking, by Reverend Ruth Boven. So this morning we begin a new series. Not long ago, we asked um, you to submit something to us that baffles you about the Bible, something confusing, something you don't understand. A number of you did that, and for that we're thankful. So today, and then for the next three Sundays, you'll be hearing sermons on some of the most perplexing texts in the Bible. So this morning, we're going to be looking at Matthew 27 and reading verses 50 through 53. Matthew 27, 50 through 53. And of course, Jesus here is being crucified. He's on the cross. Then verse 50 says, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. This is the word of the Lord. I know of a pastor who was out for sushi with his family, and his 12-year-old son asked him this question, Dad, How do we know that God is real and zombies aren't? Well, it took Dad off guard, and as he was sort of stumbling along, the son said, you know how I know that zombies are real? Well, when Jesus was on the cross and he died, the tombs opened, and dead people came out of their tombs and were walking around. There you go. The Bible talks about zombies. Well, later... The pastor, in telling a friend about that awkward sushi conversation, said he really couldn't recall very much about how he answered his son, aside from the fact that it was profoundly forgettable and predictably unsatisfactory, as his son stared at him blankly and just kept munching on his California roll. After having some time to think about his son's question, The pastor put his thoughts into words. Here's a bit of what he wrote. I know that it's really hard to figure out what's real and what's not in this crazy world that we live in. I know that everywhere we turn, we are inundated with superheroes and zombies and magic and wizards and boys with burning scars and giants and unicorns and dwarves and hobbits and all kinds of other things that we never ever see walking around on our streets. 
I also know that it's even harder to figure out what's real and what's not when we talk about the Bible that has angels and demons and people who live ridiculously long lives and people rising from the dead and virgin birth and arcs full of animals and suns that refuse to set and donkeys that speak and all kinds of other things that seem way harder to believe in than zombies. Let me assure you, son, that grown-ups struggle with these things too. Even if we're better at ignoring them or pretending that we have them all sorted out, we don't. Believe me. You know, I never imagined I'd start a sermon by talking about zombies, but I get how a 12-year-old mind is perplexed at what we just read in Matthew's Gospel. Well, who am I kidding? I get why a 59-year-old mind is perplexed at that. But thankfully, I've had some time to consider this perplexing text, and hopefully I can talk about it in a way that's maybe just slightly better than profoundly unforgettable. So the part of this text, of course, that's most perplexing is that when Jesus dies, the tombs of some holy people, some translations call them saints, are opened. And then those risen saints, after Jesus has risen, take a jaunt right into Jerusalem and lots of people see them. So what's going on in this crazy story? Did this really happen? What's the takeaway from this perplexing text? Well, let's start with a little context. First, it's important to realize that there's more than one thing going on here. When Jesus dies on the cross, when his final breath is fully exhaled, Matthew says the veil of the temple tore. The earth shook. The rocks split, graves opened, the dead people came out of them. But the way I just described it isn't exactly right. Because actually, every one of those action verbs in our text, in the Greek, is expressed in the passive voice. So more literally, the temple veil was torn, the earth was shaken, the rocks were split, the tombs were broke open, the bodies of the dead were raised. The question it begs, of course, is who's doing all this? Who's enacting the tearing and the shaking and the splitting and the opening and the raising? Who's in charge of what's happening here? Well, clearly, God. And God wants us to have no doubt about that. The Bible scholar Fleming Rutledge says that if Satan believes himself to be in control on that hill outside Jerusalem, his enjoyment must have been short-lived. Friends, something huge is happening on that hill. Something cosmic something unmistakably from God. 
Matthew's scene is meant to show us that all of history is laser-focused on Calvary's hill, and that there, God, not Satan, is in charge. Let me say that again. There and here, God, not Satan, is in charge. It's hard to imagine a greater comfort than that right now. I'm not going to spend a lot of time rehearsing all that seems wrong with our world right now. We feel the brokenness, I think, deep in our bones. I want to do what Matthew is doing and show you the power of God. How that power showed up on Calvary's Hill and still shows up today. And it shows up in our, in humanity's relationship to God and to the world around us and to death. So first, Matthew sets the scene with Jesus' last cry-filled breath. And immediately, the temple curtain is torn into from top to bottom opening the barrier between God and the people. You see, the whole temple structure was based on the distinctions of who was worthy enough, holy enough, to get close to God. But now, now there's no longer any separation, no longer any hierarchy between the high priest and others, between Jews and Gentiles, between men and women, first class and second class. As one commentator put it, there was no longer a velvet rope dividing the supermodels, the agents, and the rock stars from the overweight, the unfashionable, and the uncool. All the fun of looking down on others as one passed through to the inner sanctum was wiped away. There is no distinction, says Paul to the Romans. While we were all still sinners, while we were all still helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's all of us. The veil from top to bottom speaks of the powerful love of God that rips open the barrier between us and moves toward us. It says that every single person who knows themselves to be poor and needy because of the, Christ, the cross of Christ, because of God's own doing, you are restored to God, and nothing can separate you from that powerful love. Secondly, God's power shows up at the cross in the shaking of the earth and the rocks splitting open. If God's power over anything that would keep us apart is on display, so was God's love for and power over creation. 
Remember, when Jesus was on his way into Jerusalem and declared that if the people would not praise him for who he was, if they were silent, the rocks would cry out. Well, here, on Calvary's hill, as the people to whom Jesus came crucify him, the rocks are crying out. They are declaring the power of God to redeem all creation, just as Jesus did when he himself commanded the waves to lie down, or a woman stooped over spine to straighten up. Creation is bearing witness to the power of God. Which then brings us to the most perplexing but fantastic way we see the power of God here. Matthew is the only gospel writer who reports that those tombs broke open and that the bodies were raised. He seems eager for us to not have to wait until Sunday to know that there is a power able to swallow up death in victory. So not only is Jesus' powerful love strong enough to split the temple curtain and cancel sin, to shake the earth and call forth praise, it is also strong enough to open tombs and cancel death. You know, some think that the holy ones who were raised were saints of old, Perhaps the prophets or the martyrs. Others believe that they were folks who had just recently died, just ordinary believers like us. Whoever they were, the prison doors of death were thrown open for them so that we might know that ours will be too. But also, so that we might know that in the meantime, the doors of our own earthly prisons, the biggest, thickest, heaviest challenges we face, whether grief or earthly prisons, fear, failure, loss of love, jealousy, resentment, or the feeling that that life and joy is passing us by, these prisons are not bigger than the power of God to bring into dark and desperate places hope and new life. And here's something else about those believers who were raised, raised even before Jesus was raised from the dead. They tell us That the shockwaves, the the cosmic repercussions of Jesus' death on the cross extend both back in history and forward into the future. The commentator Dale Bruner says, These opened tombs tell us that Jesus' death has as much power to raise those who looked forward to God's salvation as it does to raise those who look back on it. To put it simply, 
Jesus' death is as effective B.C. as it is A.D. Matthew reports that after Jesus rose from the dead, those risen saints went into the city and lots of people saw them. Some Christian scholars hold that the raised saints in Matthew's gospel are meant to be symbolic. It's a step too far to take by faith. For me, it doesn't really feel like a step that's that much further than what we all already as Christians accept by faith. True, I've not encountered a human person who came out of their grave. But I do know people raised to new life. You see, God has woven resurrection into our daily lives. My neighbor, who overcame the death grip of addiction and now enjoys renewed life. My Haitian friend, who near death met Jesus in a dream when he saved her from death and gave her new and eternal life. Tomorrow, the family and loved ones of Faith Gauger will gather here to say goodbye and honor the life she lived. If you knew Faith, you know there is much to admire about her grace-filled life. Yet something that won't leave me is that even as her body diminished and died, the life inside Faith burned brighter than ever. Paul asks, who will rescue me from this body of death? The answer, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. My apologies to all 12-year-olds. Matthew's perplexing text offers no support for belief in zombies. Rather, it points to the day that is surely coming when we'll all be gathered in the new Jerusalem. Creation will be restored and all who've been made holy by Jesus will be together face to face with God forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O oh Lord, haste the day when our faith shall be sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.